Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome, welcome to the DL Link Show, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. I'm Nikki Seberini. How wonderful it is to be with you today. Um, of course, we always bring you exciting information and insights, and I'm always very excited when Dr. John Demartini comes to South Africa. I think he's the hardest working man I've ever come across in my life, moving around, spreading words, spreading insights, helping people. So when he's here, we grab him, and we bring him into the studio and we say share your wisdom um john welcome lovely lovely once again to have you on the show thank you for having me again and just to give you an idea of where we're going with this show you know August is Women's Month. So on the 9th of August, we commemorate, which we did in the past, we commemorate the women who in 1956, 20,000 women marched to Pretoria protesting against the past laws. Just the incredible, that the power, the resilience of these women in the face of these very violent South African police in their time to be able to do that. It's a wonderful celebration and a wonderful memory. Yes. So the whole of August, we talk women and we talk issues and we're looking at all of them. And so today we're looking at women, the self, self-worth, um, self-esteem. A little bit later, we're going to be talking to a doctor of aesthetics um, and um, and a cancer warrior will be joining us who has a very rare skin cancer. Um, and so looking at all of those angles. And so, John, based on what I know about you and our previous interviews, you talk about your highest values, living according to your highest values. So let's break that down. I mean, what would you say? What is a value? How how would you break that down in terms of what you teach? Okay. Many people conjure in their brain um, when you hear the word value, sometimes they think of morals and ethics. Right. Sometimes they think of economic value in the marketplace. But both of those, moral and ethics, uh, or economics come from a root called axiology. And axiology is the study of value and worth to human perception. So anything that has a value to you that you're willing to pay money for that is worth something to you would fall into that category. Okay. Now, life has a value. So morals are anything that a sustained life was considered good, anything that took life was considered bad. So anything that would sustain life has a value on it. You'll pay for it. Anything that's going to take life, you'll you'll value it not being there. Mm-hmm. So a value is anything that's important that you want to import into your life to help you advance your life forward. And that could be economic. It could be relationship. It could be any area of life that's something that's valuable to you. But it also vo- it comes from voids, what we think is missing. So in my case, um, I had learning problems as a child. So I had a void learning. So I have a very high value on learning today. Mm -hmm. But some people have a void in health. And there's many famous health professionals that start out with health conditions and they want to solve those. Or sometimes people have um, children with with challenges, uh, health challenges, whatever, and then they specialize in solving those challenges and creating foundations and things of this nature. So our voids can impact our values. Our voids can determine our values. What is empty wants to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Even Mm -hmm. Aristotle mentioned this in his times. So every human being has a unique vantage point and series of experiences that give rise to a unique set of voids and values. And the hierarchy of those values in their life, things that are most important to second most down to least important, determines their destiny. 
because it determines how they perceive, how they decide, and how they act. And we literally, in the thalamic area of our brain, which is a subcortical part of the brain, we filter sensory information from our environment through that into, into the cortex to have consciousness of mm-hmm. it. So we literally filter things according to our values. A mother who's walking a mall and her highest value is children, and she has three beautiful children under the age of five, she will spot children's clothes, children's items, health items, you know, education items in that mall. But she may have a husband who has a high value on entrepreneurship, and he won't see children's items. He'll see things that will help him advance mm-hmm. himself in his entrepreneurship. Okay. So we filter our reality. Then, therefore, we gather information that helps us fulfill what's most meaningful to us. Mm-hmm. Our brain is a highest value-seeking and fulfilling organ. And anytime we feel like we're doing it, we advance the forebrain. And anytime we're not doing that, we tend to hinder it. So our values impact literally everything our life is. Tell me what your values are and tell you where you're headed. Wow. So, okay, so it's not like a hierarchy of needs saying this is what we all need, this is what we all want. It's very personal. Well, it, it's, it is. It's based now, a lot on how we were brought up and our experiences. Is that what you're saying, John? Yes. Now, that, but, but Maslow wrote a book called Personality Motivation many mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. And even though there's various theories revolving around it, supporting and challenging some of its ideas, the basic principle, I think, is sound. The idea that if you, um, you need shelter, food, clothing, reproduction. You know, well, breathing is is number one value. Mm-hmm. Water is the second number one mm-hmm. value because you can go about four to five minutes maybe without air. <laughs> you may be able to go days without water, right. and you can go months without food. But well, these I are can't. Essential. But okay. <laughs> well, I've, I've done I've done fasting thirty five days without anything but water, so wow. I know it can be done. Gee. But but these are the bare essentials. So that surviving requires those. Once those are in place, then securing those basics is kind of second. You want to make sure that you secure that so you're not back into des- mm-hmm. desperation again. Mm-hmm. Once you do that, you tend to want to, you know, advance a little further and kind of show off what you have, socializing it. Right. Then you eventually realize that, you know, there's something more to that than life than that, but, you know, your position in life. You want to contribute. So you move up towards a self-actualization, which is a balance of self and other at the top. At the bottom, it's survival. So you'll just do whatever it is to survive. And I've seen people in survival do things that they would not normally do, but they do. So there is a hierarchical structure of needs, and they do have a different aspect of influencing our values at each of those stages. So, like, I don't think about in my life, at this stage of my life, I don't think about worrying about whether I've got food or water or air. I, 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 mean, I wouldn't say I take it for granted, but I have those things accommodated for mm-hmm. But things of self-actualization and making sure I, I reach 7 billion people in my work or this kind of thing would be more accurate for me. Mm-hmm. So there is stages, and your values are evolving. So when you're 0 to 10, maybe you may want to play. When you're 10 to 20, you may want to socialize. When you're 20 to 30, you may want to find a mate and a career. Uh, th- 30 to 40, you may want to have your family and start your own business. Every decade, there's an evolution, and they're, they're tweaking so there is sort of a Maslow's needs. If some things are accomplished, you go on to the next thing. But I wouldn't say it's it's limited to just what Maslow had stated. Mm-hmm. Each individual has different needs. Mm-hmm. Some people are very dedicated to social causes, some fitness, some business, some wealth building, some intellectual pursuits, some spiritual pursuits. So interesting you bring in that whole survival, the need to survive. And, and would you say, because... It, 
Would you say that that is really the cause of a, of a lot of struggling, a lot of suffering in the world? Even if you can be higher up and you can, you know, you, you reach the self-actualization, but that survival, the need to survive is always there. It, it well, does, it's kind of there, isn't yeah, it? I've seen people who have had pretty extraordinary, well, I, I know a woman who is married to a billionaire. Right. And he structured the economics in such a way where nothing was really owned by him. But he had access to billions of dollars. They had private jets. They were living at the very highest level of socioeconomics, you mm-hmm. might say. And then he ended up having um, an affair mm-hmm. and leaving. But he structured the economics where his wife had nothing. And so she literally went from billionaireship to nothing. To nothing. Oh. And she had to go and do a job. And she didn't know what else to do. And she, her masseuse that she used to go to, because she spent her money on massage, mm. um, told her, why don't you become a masseuse? So she ended up becoming a masseuse and was making about $30,000 a year. So she went from having a lifestyle of $100,000 a month spending on anything she wants to making $30,000 a year. Mm. That's That was a big difference. Now, that's a rel- it's all relative, because 30000 is still a good income for some people. Right. But at the same time, as she went from you know, thriving and a self-actualized life, private jets around the world, meeting with amazing people, to just surviving and making sure she made enough money for food. She had to stop all her her skin treatments and wow. her, her luxuries mm-hmm. and had to start over. And to, and to her, that was survival. She barely survived that. Mm-hmm. Now, there are people that are even in, uh, you know, $300 a year, that's their income, and they're in more of a survival than that. But the point is that it's a it's a relative term. I hear you. And I I was in the near the uh, going down the Urumbamba River in Peru uh, on a raft hmm. many years ago, and we pulled off onto the rocks, and all of a sudden we saw a little naked kid running around, and so we went into the jungle, kind of following this little kid, and we came across this naked family that lived literally in mixture of sticks and grass and and leaves and everything else, and these little children had protein deficiencies and everything else. They were very, very, there was no interaction. This is probably uh, 100 miles from anything. Completely isolated. Isolated. Gee Just was. living in the jungle. But they were fun. They were having a blast. But they, they wouldn't let you take a picture because they thought you were stealing their soul. It was quite okay, interesting. Sure. And they didn't speak any English. We had to have somebody that translate for them. But this is a real surviving, you know, middle of nowhere kind of thing. I also met in Tibet. About 150 miles away from any road, we came across a caveman and woman living in a in it's a cave incredible. with a, with some yaks, and they lived on yak butter milk. Uh, they made clothing out of yaks, and it was survival. So this is a the the most basic element of survival. Mm. And so what's valuable to them is making sure that they have food and mm. and shelter and keep warm. But someone else that's more self actualized mm. may. The value is how many people they can make a contribute to for the year or, you know, may have something completely different. They may have their yacht not working and they want their yacht fixed. It depends. Absolutely. The values are based on what the needs are perceived by the individual at that moment. At that, at that moment, I think that's 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 the key thing. Let's take a break, John. After the break, we'll continue. What a fascinating discussion. Please stay with us. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life.
Well, welcome back. This is the DL Link Show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination. Dr. John DeMartini is in the studio with us today. He's a human behavioral specialist, an educator, an internationally published author, a business consultant. He really travels the world um, and he speaks to thousands upon thousands of people changing their lives. And you do it with such energy, John. You are so pushed. You're driven to get these important messages across. And, and just before the break, we were talking about the values, your highest values. We were talking about survival, um, also in the moment where, where you are, at which stage in your life. What questions should people be asking themselves really to connect with their values um, so that they can start to live out of those values? Well, you know, when they're in survival, they, their values are surviving. Mm-hmm. But normally, if you look at what a person does to fill their space, if I gave you something that had no value, zero value to you, and I gave it to you and walked away, and you couldn't think of any reason to have that, you toss it. You put it in the trash. Mm. If you thought there might be somebody that might benefit from it, you might store it and give it to somebody. But otherwise, <laughs> it would just go in the trash. You'd get it away from you. So, But things that are extremely valuable to you, like I met a young woman that was in Sydney a few days ago. I just came in from uh, Melbourne last night. Wow. But for, I was in Sydney a few days ago. And no jet lag on you, but that's no, another I even, discussion. I, no. I, delegate, I delegate jet lag to other people. But what happens is uh, this young girl had just been proposed to and had her engagement ring. And so she doesn't take it off. She, she, wherever she goes, that, the engagement ring's there. So something that's extremely valuable to you, you don't let out of your sight. You keep it in your intimate and personal space. Right. But things that are extremely unvaluable to you, zero value, they go in the trash. Or you push them away. I don't want to round that. So your one of the value indicators or value determinants is how you fill your space. The second is time. You make time, spend time, find time for things that are really valuable to you, but you don't make time for things that aren't. You know, I, I have people coming up to me and said, hey, would you like to go to this party and everything else? And I go, no, thank you. And they go, John, you want to do a, t- a presentation tonight to this group? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll do a Your talk venues, any day. I hear I mean, a social party or whatever, I'm not uh, interested in. Uh. I mean, maybe social network occasionally, but I, I, I'd much rather do a presentation or, or sit and read a book mm. or research. So we make time for things that are valuable to us, and we don't have time for things that don't. So how you spend your time is the second indicator. The third one is what energizes you. When you're doing something that's really, really high in your value, energy goes up. And when you're doing something that's low on your value, energy goes down. Mm. So you are drained at the end of the day if you're doing something that you have to do. But you are full of energy when you're doing something you love to do. So when you're really engaged, like I, I, I sometimes speak from 8 in the morning till 1 in the morning, nonstop. Jeez. We're going all day long. <laughs> and people go, you know, you don't – you just like – like a machine. And I go, I know, but I'm doing what I love. Uh, and when people do that, they can do it all day long. I was sitting in a, a Thai restaurant with my wife when she was alive uh, many years ago. And Tom Jones was there with, with his, his partner. And um, Tom had just finished doing a, a gig. And it was a late night dinner we were going to. And it was interesting as we started chatting with him because there's just six people in the restaurant. And we started chatting with him. And he said, yeah, I do 250 gigs a year singing. Cool. And he says, oh. what I do is I, I go out and have a nice dinner. I have a glass of wine and everything else with my partner. And then the next morning I get up. I take a protein shake. I work out. I do my scales. I do my singing. I visualize what I'm going to be doing. I think about what I'm going to do. And I come up with creative ideas for new angles on, on choreographing music and, and dance and stuff. And then I do what I love doing. 
And you could see this guy was engaged, and he mm-hmm. could talk to one in the morning, mm-hmm. talking about what mm-hmm. he loved doing. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's the thing that I see. And people, when they find out what they really love to do, their energy goes up. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the third one. The fourth one is money. How do you spend your money? You make money, find money, spend money, and get money for things that are valuable to you, but you won't come up with money for things that don't. So something that's really low on your values is is uh, you don't you don't want to buy you don't want to spend money on it you don't even find money for right. it. People won't even raise money if people hate paying their taxes. It makes it more difficult for them to raise the money to pay them. Uh. If they actually are appreciative of paying the taxes and knowing that it contributes to society, it's easier to make. Mm-hmm. So if you value something, it's easier to actually generate the income for it. The fifth one is where are you most order, organized and ordered. Because when it's really valuable to you, you bring order and organization to it because you want to focus on it and make sense out of it and put it together. So my knowledge is organized and my research is organized. My travel is organized. Those are high in value. But I don't cook and I don't drive. I haven't driven in 30 years and I haven't cooked since I was – for 40 years now. Hmm. I haven't cooked. I delegate all uh-huh. – anytime you're doing high-priority things, you raise your self-worth. Anytime you're doing lower-priority things and not delegating it, you're lowering self-worth. Oh, very powerful message. I love it's that very, message. Very, very And most people don't realize that their no. inspired life is sitting and waiting for them. All they have to do is learn how to be of service to people doing what they love and delegating the rest of them. Uh, That's very simple. Uh, the next one is where are they most disciplined, reliable, and focused? Because where you're extremely disciplined, where nobody ever has to remind you to get up and do it. Now, think about this. Think of a young boy who's 12 years old. He he loves his video games, and he's sitting there doing his video games. He'll do it for hours, and his mom doesn't have to motivate him or remind him to do it. You don't have to hear a mom say, now, Johnny, it's time to do your video games. <laughs> you don't have to do that. But what we, she will say is, time to do your homework, time uh, to do your chores, uh, clean up your room. Uh, now, you, you, you rarely have a kid come up to you and say, Mom, I clean up my room. Is there any other kids I can <laughs> clean up? Can I do some more homework? Give me some more homework. And- There's something wrong with that. We have to turn it around. Yeah. <laughs> But the thing is, is that the things that are really valuable to them, they do spontaneously. So where are you most disciplined and spontaneous? That tells you a lot about what you value. Okay. The next one is, what do you think about? What do you visualize? And what do you internally dialogue to yourself about, about how you would love your life to be that shows evidence of actions that are coming true? Mm -hmm. So I could say, you know, I, I, I jokingly say, you know, I, I, I'm very dedicated to researching and teaching. I can do it every day. Seven days a week, and I do seven days a week. This is the 260, well, yesterday was the 206th presentation I've done this year. I can believe it. Yeah, 206. So I love And you're doing full it. of energy. I love doing it. Yeah. No problem. No, yeah. no problem doing it. Uh. But you don't have energy for things that are low on your values. But if you look very carefully, the thing you spontaneously do, that just, just do, that's the thing. And where you're most disciplined you can count on me to be researching and teaching. Mm. You know, I mean, you, any moment I've got, I'm on the computer uh, working and trying to learn mm. and trying to think of something else I can share and help mm. people with. Mm. So you look at what you're disciplined and what you're spontaneously do, and that tells you. And what do you think about? I think about traveling the world teaching. I think about uh, watching lives and being inspired and change. The, the things that I think about, that I visualize, and that I talk to myself about most, that tells me what I value. The next one is what do you keep wanting to bring the conversations to? When, when, when somebody comes up to you and they'll, they'll say, how's your kids? Or how's your business? Or how's your investments? Or how's your health? Or how's your golf game? They'll ask you to engage you in a conversation about what's important to them. Mm. And so you look at what you want to talk about. And if you get to talk about it, you'll talk all night about it. And you're energized by talking about it, tying your value. Yeah. The next one is what inspires you and what's common to the people who inspire you. 
when I look at it, I've been studying the great philosophers all the way back to pre-Socratics and even before, wow. and Eastern, Western, uh-huh. Egyptian, oh, Sumerian. Fascinating. I've been studying those things. And I love the great – I also study all the Nobel Prize winners. I read every Nobel Prize winning acceptance speech, most of the biographies and many of the texts mm. that they've written. Wonderful. So I'm constantly looking for the most innovative, most creative, most amazing people that loved what they did and de- devouring that information. And I look at what is it you spontaneously are inspired by and what's common to that. And then I look at what is the most consistent, persistent goals you have that are coming true, the top three. And the last one is what is it you study, read about, learn about, listen to about, watch videos about most that you can't wait to, to learn. Whatever you love learning about is valuable to you mm. and things that aren't valuable to you. I mean, you go to in the newspaper, you'll pick through the newspaper and you'll not even read certain sections and others you'll just draw on to. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, that tells you what you value. Mm. So if you look at that, if you take all 13 of those value determinants and look at what's the common denominator in each of those, because the same answers will come up if you're honest. You'll get an idea of what's really most important by how frequent they show up on that that uh, questionnaire. And uh, there's a free questionnaire on my website. They can take advantage of this, drdmartin.com. They can do it, and it takes about 30 minutes. But it's extremely eye-opening, and you'll get to go, God, no wonder my life is the way it is. Because oh. your hierarchy of your values dictates your destiny, right. determines what you see, perceive, decide, and act. So your life is reflected on that. So knowing that is very crucial to knowing who a person is. And whatever's highest on your value is what your your life evolves around. Your identity is that highest value. That is so helpful, um, John. And I just want to say that this show is podcast because you've just heard 13 incredible um, bits of information that you really want to listen back on and take notes. So listen to the podcast. You can take it, listen back, take the notes. I'm certainly inspired. We're going to take a quick break. After that, I want to look at the how we value our bodies. You know, we do this is a dealing show. We talk about cancer. We talk about illness. Let's let's look at that. Please. Stay with us. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back. The DR Link Show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination. Dr. Um, John DeMartini is in the studio with us. Wow. Just before those 13 questions you ask yourself. Love those, John. Thank you so much. Um, as I said just before the break, this is a show about cancer. Um, and we're going to have a warrior just now who has a very rare skin cancer. She talks about going back in time. I'm hoping you can sit for a while. If you can't, you can't. But I want to look at the body. I want to look Look at sometimes the body letting us down. I want to look at pain, John. Pain, people who live with pain. What What is this relationship between mind and body? Where do we go with this? Well, that's a good question. I, I've been fascinated by that for 40-something years and lecturing on that for all that time. And without a doubt, if we look at a perception, let's say we're, we have a set of values, we're walking through life, and we have a perception of something. And let's say we run in in the mall, we run into somebody that challenges us. And they say something we don't want to hear, or they criticize us, or we something that challenges our, our values and threatens us a bit. When we do, our sympathetic autonomic nervous system comes online. Mm. And this will is the fight or flight response. Mm. And we have an instinct to try to want to avoid that and seek for its opposite, you might say. Which is the on the parasympathetic side, which is rest and digest. Mm. Because one is pre- predator when we have fight or flight, and one's prey when we have rest and digest. So we have this response. When we do, we get cortisol increase, norepinephrine, epinephrine, testosterone, histamine, a substance P. We have certain chemical compounds that go up in our bloodstream, in our brain, 
and fire off it and go to receptors on cells targeted. And on those cells' receptors, there are little glycoproteins, little pro- protein and sugar molecules. And they have a certain three-dimensional shape, and they respond to those transmitters, those modulators, and they cause opening and, and shutting of gates inside the cell wall, which allows sodium, potassium, and ions to go in and out, which also opens up certain uh, gates to turn on and turn off certain enzyme pathways. And so what happens, you get either in a sympathetic nervous system causes a kinase pathway, and the kinase is a series of adding phosphorus to a bunch of compounds inside the cell. Mm-hmm. This can go all throughout the cell and and add kinase responses and create methylations of different parts, or it can add in phosphorus, or it can go inside the nucleus and actually cause DNA to be inhibited from transcription, proteins be stopped. So our perception affects physiology, transcription of DNA, mm-hmm. epigenetic changes, right. and cause our, our gene expressions to be different and causes uh, proteins to be different, which are structural proteins or functional enzyme proteins which then causes symptomatology. So we literally, uh, when, 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 a, when somebody challenged like that, there's a, there's a kinesin molecule that takes, inf- it takes materials from the nucleus and takes it to the cell wall to protect it. And when we're under relaxation and we get the parasympathetic side, it, it takes, there's a dynin molecule, dynin molecule that actually takes information from the cell wall back in the nucleus for mitosis. Mm-hmm. So we're literally changing the morphology and shape of cells and the combination of those is changing tissues and that is affecting organs and that is affecting systems by our perceptions. So our mental perceptions is affecting our morphological, physiological changes. And each of those, if interpreted and understood with applied physiology, is symptoms. And so the symptoms are feedback mechanisms to try to bring our mind back into balance uh-huh. so we're not sitting there in fight or flight or rest and digest by itself. Mm-hmm. We see both together because mm-hmm. we need both and have wellness. And when we see one or the other, we create illness. And we have two types of illness, not just a stress illness, a relaxation illness. Imagine a relaxation if you, illness. Yeah, if we, have, if we have too much relaxation and not enough challenge, uh-huh. we get problems. We get so, symptoms. again, it's balance. Everything's balanced. Yeah, so let, let, let's imagine this. Imagine we had no predator and all we had is prey, all the food we wanted. Remember, we're an animal and we see prey. We want to eat it. Mm-hmm. There's no predator. Mm-hmm. And now we can glutton. Right, we can mm-hmm. just overeat, mm-hmm. Over- and we get slug. Now we get diabetes right. increased okay, diabetes, mm-hmm. uh, hypertension, mm-hmm. cardiovascular problems, fat and lipids go up. You see, there's symptoms from that side. Now, if we have the predator there watching us eat, and we know the predator's there, it keeps us eating moderately and maximizes our fitness. If we didn't have predator and all we had prey, we'd go gluttony. If we have prey predator with no prey, we'd have starvation and we'd be eaten. We have no energy. Mm. So we have to have a balance of prey and predator. Uh, we have to have a balance of support and challenge to maximize fitness and physiology. So the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. You need both. You need both. You don't, it's not and one is good and the other is bad. They both are needed right. in a balanced state. So anytime we don't perceive the balance in our awareness, we're creating symptoms to get us back to see the balance. Uh-huh. Okay, so so to break that down, so the perception in the mind and perceptions change. You can change your perception. Absolutely. It's the perception that's changing the physiology, the biology, the exactly. every, all those incredible words you were using. And so sometimes when you have the challenges, what you perceive as a challenge, 
it can be used as a balance if you process it properly. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Because you need, okay. Yeah, it's never what happens to you. It's your perception of it. Right. Okay. I mean, I, I'll, I'll so give an example. So interesting, John. I'll give yes. an example. Okay, so this young boy uh, who was a, abandoned, the story that he had was he was abandoned by his mother at age two. He was in foster home, well, for first in orphanage, then a foster home, and then another foster home. So he grew up going to psychologists, and the psychologist that he went to, in my opinion, was not really fair to the child. Because what it was doing is saying, well, because you were abandoned, because your mother didn't want you, mm. you're going to statistically... Plant a seed, plant a seed. Th- this right. is what's likely to happen with you statistically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's really crazy. Mm-hmm. So what happened was, I, c- I got a hold of him. You know, one of my little young adults inspired destiny programs. And I, and he said, he wanted to run his story because he'd been going to the therapist so long. He was running his story about how, you know, I'm a victim of my mom abandoning me. And he just wanted to run the story. And I said, stop, stop the story. Let's go online and let's go and find the list of celebrities that have done extraordinary things in the world that started out as abandoned children and orphans. We found a list of 700 famous people that were orphans. Hmm. Sir Isaac Newton. One of the greatest writings of history really? and science was was an orphan. His father uh, died when he was born, and his mother gave him up when he was very young to try to find a man to take care of her because she had no income. And so in the process of doing that, he grew up as an orphan. But he ended up doing something extraordinary. And I made a list and showed him the list. And when he looked at that, and he goes, wow. I said, you're in that category. You're gifted. Whenever somebody is gone, like a mother gone, other people take on that role. And when you see the benefits of those people coming on, you realize that you were you had just as many blessings out of that. Sure. But if you get boxed in and say, "Well, if I didn't have this, my life is a mess," right? She she was he was running the story that he was a victim instead of saw it as an opportunity. The second he saw that, and he felt special, he is actually thankful for his mom to giving him all the people the that lesson. he identified mm-hmm. that played the role of the mother that gave him an advantage that he never saw before, mm-hmm. and he turned it into an opportunity, and he started excelling. He was moping around and being the victim. He started excelling in school, and he said, I don't want to waste my mother's contribution in my life by giving me the opportunity to have so many great teachers in my life. Mm-hmm. And wow, it's a perception, finishing. a shift, a, a switch, it. a switch, John. That's it, and that's what I love doing. I love helping mm. people see, because anything you can't say thank you for in your life is baggage. Okay. And anything you can say thank you for is fuel. Uh-huh. And so anything that's happened in your life is not what matters. Baggage it's how you perceive fuel, it, what right. you decide to do with it, mm. and how you act from it. And so I, I just... And I the power is within us yeah, to do yeah, it. Yeah, you have the power to do we that. So power. We want to always blame things on the outside, but people who blame things on the outside have to go and find things on the outside to save them. Uh-huh. When the reality is there's nothing but a hidden order. There's an implicate order sitting in the life. And when you actually ask the right questions, you get to see it, and you're very grateful. Mm. John, I love that, and I'm going to leave it there because I think it's a very, very powerful message. It's in, it's within, it's not the external world. Wow, you're going to listen back to this podcast, absolute gems um, that John has um, given us, gifted us today. So, John, thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming into the studio. Thank you for coming to South Africa. Thank you for spreading these ideas around the world, making the world a better place. Always a privilege to have no, you. No, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. Appreciate thank it. Thank you, Dr. John Demartini. We're going to take a break. We'll have our next guest in the studio. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. 
101.9 High FM. Good afternoon. This is the DL Link Show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination. Nikki Seberini here. Fascinating half hour with John Demartini. Just a reminder, the podcast will be available in a couple of days. Just go to the website, highfm.com, go to podcasts, go to Thursday, go to DL Link, Life Links and you will find the show. Um, you'll be able to break down all that information. So, you know, it's never fair when you've got a famous older brother. It's never fair, especially when he makes history and he's all over the newspapers and he's on radio and he specifically has been on this show many times. So we have to mention that he is the older brother of our next guest because we just have to. Um, of course, I'm talking about Dr. Ridwan Mia, um, who, as I said, we've, we've had on the show many times. He really is a, 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 a gem here in South Africa, an absolute hero with the work that he's done. Um, so it's part of the family and it is so wonderful to have Dr. Reza Mia, um, Dr. Ridwan Mia's younger brother in the studio. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Welcome. <laughs> so how do you survive having an older brother? I have to ask, we've got to get the elephant out the room. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you know, we've always been, uh, I think, a family that likes to try hard. Mm-hmm. And we learned from our mother when, you know, we watched her growing up uh, all the way until she had a PhD in physiology and nutrition. Wow, wow. And uh, my dad, who just, you know, he was an entrepreneur who kept on trying different business ideas and never gave up until he got where he needed to get. And so for us, it was always um, looking for these examples to follow. Hmm. And well, yeah. it's still like that. So I, I look at my older siblings and I see what I can learn from them and how I can, uh, you know, aim to surpass them. To surpass them, yeah, I love it. Yeah, well, I know them, that Ruben always talks. Well, and and he, I can say yeah. that because they're not yeah. here. No, no, exactly, <laughs> and, and hopefully you won't be listening. But he, he, he's always spoken so highly of your parents and just the values that you were all brought up with, you know, and the giving, the giving, and the doing more. Um, and I can see it in you. So wow, well, that's really nice. kudos Thank to you. your parents, really, a lot. really. So interesting. So you're in the medical field as well, but you you focus a lot more on aesthetics. So um, whereas read one you surgical procedures, you are not surgical procedures. Explain exactly what you do. So you know, this field almost of medicine didn't exist when I started at med school, mm-hmm. and it was somehow I think I was guided there over time uh, as I finished, and I wasn't sure what to do. And you know, I was importing a cream from Dr. Ray, from Dr. Nine Hundred Two One Yes, called Sensual Solutions, and uh-huh. they had a Botox-like cream. That's what they called it. And I had people buying this cream and saying to me, but you're a doctor. Why don't you do uh, the actual injections? Because this cream doesn't work where the skin is thick. And after about five or six people asked me that, I thought, okay, look, someone's trying to tell me something. I went and I started doing the courses because obviously they don't teach you how to do any of this in medical school. Right. And started doing it just really on that basis for the people who were, you know, bugging me for it. Mm. They kept coming back and bringing their families and their sisters and brothers, and eventually that became the full-time job. And so that's why I say I was—I felt like I was guided there. Uh-huh. But I like it because it's a very new field, and there's space for innovation, finding new ways of doing things. A lot of the stuff, uh, you know, people say, "Oh, do they have aesthetics in South Africa?" But the way that we think in this country is very innovative. And so as a result, we discover new things and then we go to, you know, the Monaco uh, aesthetic show or the London face and we teach what we've learned there. So 
we are actually ahead of many countries oh, in the world. Yeah. That's Very incredible. Much, yeah. I never knew that. I never knew that. So let's talk, let's look at aesthetics. So aesthetics is we're looking at Botox. Yeah. So we're looking at fillers. Exactly. Yeah. Botulinum toxins, fillers, threads in the skin, and. You know what we like to really Threads focus on? in the skin. I've never heard of For that. lifting, if we need that. Oh, okay. But what we like to focus on is the more, um, almost it seems like more minor procedures, but it's more holistic. So things like platelet-rich plasma or skin boosters or redermalization, where we inject tiny little products into the skin mm-hmm. to create collagen and elastin and tighten the skin. And really so it's almost like a brilliant cream on steroids. So you're going inside with the cream, with the good stuff, really. To rejuvenate the skin and give people a youthful, healthy, happy look. Okay. You know, there was a time when people were actually trying to get really gigantic lips and cheeks. And we never ever did those things. Uh-huh. But we still use filler to create uh, volume where we need it. But for us, the filler isn't, you know, the major um, brickwork. It's really the fine, superficial, like... Uh, I guess you could look at it like fine plaster, uh-huh. not not to change the way people look, but okay. to make them look like better versions of themselves uh-huh. because we don't like that false look. Mm-hmm. For us, that's a fail in aesthetics. Really? And then we move on to machines like uh, sweat-reducing machines that can permanently destroy the, fats, uh, the sweat cells. We no use. danger in that? No, no. Uh, Fat-reducing uh, machines using cold and really the gap between what you needed surgery for and what you couldn't do anything about is getting so small that even, for example, things that people would have had nose jobs for. We now work with fillers and toxins. We lift the face. And many of these procedures are becoming uh, frequently unnecessary or delayed by many years because of these much safer alternatives. However, what we're also seeing is a rise in, along with the rise in the popularity of aesthetics is the rise in the side effects that people have seen. Yes. So, you know, when you get a, a hold of a filler and you put it into someone's face under high pressure, high volume, you can do uh, things to them like blocking vessels. Obviously, if we inject with safe techniques, which we always follow, this doesn't happen. But we get patients walking in saying, there was a new doctor. I tried this treatment. Um I've got a problem. Can you fix it? And so you've got so to be very careful. Very much so. People shouldn't what look do? at it okay. like a facial okay. or beauty therapy. All right. That's important. Very much a medical intervention. Okay. So that's very important. Mm. I know that also, because I wanted to talk about the fillers, because I'm going back a long time. I mean, fillers used to be like fat cells. Fat Are they, is that still? Was that like I they take the original, fat from somewhere? Yeah. The original uh, filler. It doesn't give you much accuracy. It changes with your weight. And the way your brain is made, oh, if you God. lose 5% body fat, your face looks like you've lost 50%. Okay. Then it went on to collagen. But collagen was derived from either cows, uh, pigs, or people. And really? so it's not something you really would have felt nice putting into your face. Mm-mm. And there was a much higher risk of allergic reaction. So you always had to do allergy testing. Uh, things like hyaluronic acid which is dissolvable, much safer, bacterially derived, so acceptable by a lot more uh, cultures and religions. And just, I think, personally, I would be much happier having this in my face. Uh-huh. That has a far lower risk of allergy. It's not zero, but it's almost zero. Okay. 
Okay. So, so, but a lot of this work that you do, it's not permanent. So, I mean, if you're weighing up the surgery, but surgery isn't because aging is aging. You can't fight aging. You can't, you lose the elasticity. As you say, there's less collagen. But for something like fillers, something like Botox, is it something that you have to keep up regularly? So the way, the two things I like people to understand about it is you will be aging anyway. What we do is we work to make sure that you look your best and age slower, uh, prevent what you can prevent without looking fake and, uh, you know, done. Mm. You rather look old than done. Mm. So that's the one thing we do. We focus on the art of aesthetics. It's very much an art. It's not something that you can just um, teach somebody over a weekend of this is where the filler goes because you have to understand what beauty is to be able to give it to each individual patient. Right. And there's also no each individual patient. I love much. it. Not a one size fits all, one look, one yeah. There's no cookie cutter uh-huh. that you can place on every face and make everybody look the same and hope that they'll be happy. Every single face is an individual work of art. And I think people are getting to understand this as the aesthetic market uh, matures. So when it comes to the semi-permanent nature of the treatments, we like that for two reasons. Again, if you inject uh, the permanent filler into somebody's face, there's a very high chance that it can, well, a much higher chance that it can become encapsulated and form scar tissue. Where you need filler today is not where you'll need it in two years or three years or four years. And so when your face changes, those bumps remain in place and then you have to surgically remove them and you start to look funny. If we uh, move with the face, we can tailor the work. And so almost when you come in again, we look at you like a new face. Uh-huh. And then we address what we see. So that's the, the maintenance side of it. And it's also something that you can, uh, like I say, flow with and address as things change. About six months is how often I would recommend doing toxin. And fill is about once a year. But the important thing to remember is that it isn't like you're pressing pause when you do the toxin and then when you stop, you're pressing fast forward. It's just you press play again on the aging process. Uh There's no mechanism that your body can use to catch up all the aging you should have Uh had. So let's say you do it for 10 years and then you say, I've had enough. I don't want to do this anymore. You will always look better. You'll never catch up. Uh Yes, you'll never catch up on that 10 years that you've now taken out of action. So when you talk about toxins, you talk about Botox. Botox is one of the brands. Okay, uh, it's one of the brands, but it's toxin. Not, not it's, a great word. Yeah, <laughs> we, that's the full name because okay. it's a, a scheduled substance. Uh-huh. You're not allowed to say uh, or use the words and say this is the brand. Okay, it's I the hear laws. you. But we can say botulinum toxin. Okay. And it's actually a derivation of the botulinum toxin. So it's a cleaved portion of it. So it's not the same. You know, you couldn't make yourself sick. Uh, purely by having aesthetic dosages where we see more um, systemic side effects is if it was used for a calf relaxation in someone in a wheelchair, for example. But you look at your calf. I mean, there's 10 times the bulk there than what you would use on little muscles in the face. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hear you. Last question. I don't know if it's going to be an easy question to answer. The DL Link show, we deal with cancer. Mm. Um, our warriors going for different therapies. Is there, if you do go for any of these treatments, do you know if there's any kind of um, clash in terms of chemotherapy, radiotherapy? So what what do you advise patients? I wouldn't undergo aesthetic treatments when you're busy dealing with that type of a Mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. I would work on that. And at the end of it, uh, we can work on things like hair, 
on tattoos, on transplantation, on okay. stimulation. We can help people recover from that. But one thing that's important to remember, and you should never neglect the way you look because you feel, you know, sometimes people think it's a superficial thing. Don't worry about it. But the truth is, um, I read an interesting book that was recommended by Dr. Simon Urian when I went for training in Beverly Hills with him mm-hmm. earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And it said uh, patients undergoing chemo had a better survival rate when they did their makeup. And this shows how powerful it is uh, and how close the link is between how we look and how we feel. Mm. So it's definitely something not to be neglected sure. when people are sick. Sure. We've just lost an incredible woman, uh, Dr. Helen, um, uh, Helen Heldemuth, um, and she, I mean, every time she came onto the show, she had leukemia for 17 years, and she always wow. showed up looking immaculate. She said she feels good. She looks good from the outside. She feels good on the inside. Just fascinating. Well, always, always looked amazing. I agree with that. Amazing. Completely. Listen, where is your center? Because I know that you offer so many different treatments and offerings at your center. Where is it? So we are actually on Central Street in Houghton, uh-huh. corner 12th Avenue in Central Street. Right. And if people would like to know more about what we do, the website's drreza.co.za or on Instagram, drreza.sa. And they can even call us. Can I give the number? Yeah. 011-4830-881. Fantastic. Dr. Teresa, thank you so much. No, lovely, pleasure. lovely having you on the show. Very Hope happy to, to see be you here. again Hopefully soon. the first of many. Uh, hopefully the first. And yeah, we'll have you on more times than your brother. How's that? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> we won't tell you. A, a little competition. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. We're going to take a break and then our cancer warrior is going to be joining us. And by the way, she also believes in feeling good. She's had this very rare skin cancer and also looking good and feeling good. She'll be with us in a moment. Stay where you are. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome, welcome. The DL Link Show is the show you are listening to. I'm Nikki Seberini, and so we continue with our fantastic guest, Patricia Flaum, a DL Link skin cancer warrior in the studio. She was in the on the show before, and she was telling us about her uh, rare cancer, this cutaneous non-Hodgkin's T-cell lymphoma, or MF, um, that there is no cure for this condition. We had a long discussion with Patricia before, and we thought we'd catch up with Patricia because she's just walked in looking so glamorous, looking so gorgeous from head to toe looking magnificent we've just had dr reza in the studio saying that cancer patients who look better who who look think they look better actually have a better chance at surviving we spoke about our beloved the late helen heldemuth who we lost this a few weeks ago uh, who we're so sad about um and um so patricia has had a very close relationship with helen and i've said interesting hat patricia welcome Thank you very much. Good to have you Thank on the you. show. As I said, looking so gorgeous, <laughs> so gorgeous. Tell us about the hat. Well, this hat is actually in honor of my dearest, darling, precious friend who passed away only a f- recently, yes. Helen Hildemuth. I'm so privileged that at last in my life, I might have been, been in my 60s, that I met this wonderful woman. And very soon afterwards, I was invited by Roz, Vassarabi, and Helen to join them in a group which they called Salon Soiree. And we gave of ourselves to present to the public and showcase what women could do. 
because of course we were, I mean, we weren't allowed to come to our yes. shows. Yeah. I was the musician or pianist. Uh, Helen wrote many of the shows. I also did some writing and Roz was the actress, the singer, uh, everything. And we had very, very successful shows. Oh, I loved it. And our rehearsals were the greatest fun ever. So from that point of view, I miss Helen terribly, mm. but I also, I know Helen from doctor, our doctor's uh, oncology treatment room. We used to meet there. It was like going out for tea. <laughs> there was never a moment of sadness. Aww. There Helen would arrive with her big basket filled with goodies. They're probably not very good for us to eat. Sandwiches. But they tasted good. Yes. Exotic ones. Not, oh. I mean, not jam. Yes. What kind of sandwiches? Beef, hot beef on rye. Oh. Uh, you know, exotic, I'm telling oh. you. Oh. And then confectionery, which is up my alley. And fruits and cakes. So Helen sat opposite me. Both of us, our arms attached to a drips. Our head lying on a cushion. Our bodies kind of prostrate. And we were chatting. And we were actually planning the next salon soiree, which was going to be the fun aspect, if you could call it that, of cancer. Because there's so much, there's a lot of funny things happening. Mm. Mean, meanwhile, she was throwing the cherries my way and Aww. laughing. I swear, nobody in that uh, in that room would imagine that we were suffering in any way. I think that's wonderful. I think that that what because that's what I'll say, Helen, who's zest for life, larger, larger than life. So you're wearing that hat in honor of Helen. Oh, for sure. For she sure. will be smiling down, and she will be so happy to see you sitting here with that hat on. Really, Patricia, I, I want to, you know, I read some of the things that you wrote down about your cancer, because it is this cancer that there is no cure for. You're living with it. It's your skin. You have all of these different reactions, and you've got, you're have got so open-minded when it comes to different therapies. And You've been asking yourself the question, why skin cancer? Why skin cancer? Where did, th- where did that question lead you? It only came to me recently. I was accepting, mm, I suppose I'm getting a cancer, and <laughs> it's on my skin, so what? I was terrified of going for a mammogram. Yeah. Terrified. I was also terrified of everything. I'd never even go in a loft before I had cancer. Wow. Do you know that? I wouldn't go on an aeroplane without a tranquilizer. Oh, today I'll fly anywhere on my own. Mm. I did that recently. Mm. So once you've gone through this, nothing scares you anymore. Mm. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. But you asked me, so then I asked myself, because I am kind of philosophical. I read a lot. Why the skin? What is the skin? And then I started to think, what is the skin? The skin is the largest organ in the human body. And it is protecting. It is protecting all those organs inside. It gets the first view of what's happening. It's like in a, in a, in a war. Mm-hmm. It sees the first problem arising. And it takes action. But when it takes action, it takes all the uh, hardships upon itself. But why? Why? What was going on inside me but inside my mind? And? That my, my, that my skin had to protect me. Yes. 
And I've, I've actually been hypnotized. So I know what it is. Oh. I've been hypnotized. Oh, yes. From an early age, actually. So I can kind of do it to myself. Mm-hmm. I've also learned um, meditation. When I was at Hertzler School, Mr. Uh, Mr. Ian Mann was the head of Judaica. And he taught us how to do it to ourselves and how to do it to the class. So I get there. I can go. So you into, can go within into the and, and think, where, where yes. is it? Okay, so yes. to reveal. Oh, for sure. And so I do it to myself. I can relax completely. And yes. I can do that to you right now. Mm-hmm. And um, I realize, no, this is going back very, very far back. Do you know, my earliest memory was, it's very hard to say this, but a family member mm-hmm had said to me when I was only three and a half years old, you are trying to harm your little sister. What did I do? I love this little baby. I put her on a trolley, and we had a big trolley, which is of the kind that you use in hospitals. And I sat her on there, and I walked, we had a double-story house, yeah. and I walked around the rooms showing her the garden. Aww. She wasn't at that time allowed out downstairs. Mm-hmm. And this person had said to me, you are trying to harm your little sister because you are jealous. Oh. Truly, I've never had a jealous feeling in my life. Truly, I don't care. Someone's got something, I don't mind. It really, I'm just not that kind mm. of person. Mm. And, and then it happened later on. Something horrible happened. Uh, I was not even six in sub A. This is in Cape Town. And I wanted to play with <coughs> a little girl. She looked like the most Head of the little group. And you know how many years ago that was? Little girls have never changed. They're always the same. They're forming groups. And there's always a leader. And I, a little fat girl by the stage, who always ate when things upset her. Mm. And I marched up to her, full of confidence still. And I said, can I play with you? And she said, no, you can't. You're too fat. And so I left her crying. And I reacted by keeping silence and eating. And so that was my pattern for many, many years. My parents couldn't understand. They were such garrulous, sociable people. And there's their eldest daughter. They'd take her out, and she wouldn't open her mouth to anybody. And I then didn't know why. Today I do. That was my form of rebellion. Because today... I am extremely garrulous. You have mm. to tell me to keep quiet. Mm. I had so much going on there. And how was I going to punish those who hurt me? I was going to punish them by keeping, keeping quiet, quiet. Mm. and eating. Mm. You know, um, Dr. Demartini was on the show a little bit earlier and he spoke about, we were talking about mind body and he said your perceptions, when the perception is born, um, you know, we've, it's the, it's the perception and then we react. And you're saying, the, your mother saying you're trying to harm, jealous, then how you looked, keeping quiet. These are all perceptions, all ideas being born, which would affect, as Demartini would say, the physiology of your body. So you went back and you looked at all of these things and you've said that's why you believe you, you had the skin cancer. That's Surely. fascinating, Patricia. So what, do you, so what do you do with that? Do you work it through? Because you can identify it, but now how do you release that? As I said, it's a very new 
feeling mm. because I've been trying to think about it for a long time and nothing came to me. But this is an aha moment. Wow. Um, and I know that nobody will ever bother me again. I've got a tongue on me that can answer them. And I needn't eat anymore. And in fact, this cancer has given me more than confidence. I don't even need to eat anymore. I've lost. Look at me. You look magnificent. <laughs> so you're saying you've lost a fortune of weight. Yes, That's because I don't need to eat <laughs> to compensate anymore. Oh, amazing. Amazing, Patricia. You know, I have to wrap up the show, but I want to say that... I love that you had an aha moment. I love that you've got this beautiful positive outlook. And I really hope that when you've sat with this this idea with where the perception was first born and you start to work it and release it, I'd love you to come back on the show and share it with us. I Let's see, see where it goes. How fascinating. How fascinating. Good for you going deep and searching and striving. Good for you, Patricia. Thank you very much. Listen, you're inspiring. You look gorgeous. It's wonderful having you on the show. Onwards. And upwards. That's what I have to say to Hello. you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Lovely having you Thank on the show, you. And Patricia. I'm glad you asked me because I sat yesterday, wrote it down, and that was another aha moment oh, for me. Amazing. Oh, yeah. amazing. And you'll be back and share He's what gone. you've done with the aha. Amen. Onwards and upwards. Patricia Floam. Wow, learning, expanding. We are learning on this show, and I hope you are learning. I've learned so much during this hour. It has been an absolute privilege being with you. Thank you so much for tuning in. From me, Nikki Seberini, until next week, take care and goodbye.